As I always say, I'd rather be here this morning than to be in the best hospital in North Carolina, wouldn't you? Amen. Amen. Uh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. And may I say, this is the first time I've been in the house of the Lord in probably two and a half months. Uh, I told my wife, I said, I hadn't preached so long, I forgot how. But uh, some of you may say, well, you never learned how, so, but that's okay too. I remember when I was in seminary, uh, I went to school with a guy. One Sunday morning, a little boy about six years old went out and he said, uh, why are you going to school? And he really couldn't think of a, an answer to give, so he told him, he said, I'm going to learn to preach. So the next Sunday morning, uh, as he went out the door, that little six-year-old boy looked up at the preacher and said, I told my mama you were going to school to learn to preach. And she said, I sure will be glad he learns how. So uh, you have to be careful what you say to a child. But I do appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning. I do appreciate your pastor so very, very much, dear friend. I uh, appreciate him very much, um, a true man of God who sticks to the word. And that's what we need more than anything else in the day and hour in which we live. We need to get back to the Word of God. Uh, coming on July the 4th of this year will be my 49th year in the ministry. Now, I started when I was young, so, uh, but, uh, and I mean that. I started preaching when I was 19 years old. If you're trying to figure out, that's 68. So, but um, the first message I ever preached was, it's time to get back to the Bible. You know what? That message is still the message I have today because that's the only hope we have for the nation and the day and hour in which we live. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. There is no hope unless there's a return to, to the Word of God and what it says. Uh, we see what happens and we're living in a day and age when we have discovered what happens when you abandon the Word of God and you abandon Christ and His principles. Uh, the old says you're getting a mess. That's just that simple. So it is good to be here this morning. Uh, if you would today, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Good News for Troubled Times. Good News for Troubled Times. We are living in troubled times, and we don't hear much good news anymore. The other night, my wife and I were watching the news. I turned it off. I just turned it over to something else. I said, I'm tired of hearing this. Uh, there's just not seemed to be any good news today. And we're going to discover some good news this morning that we can apply to our own personal lives. And believe me, we need some good news today. The Gospel of Luke. Now, I love the Gospel of Luke. I love Luke. Luke was a tremendous man. Uh, he was a physician, but yet he was a historian. Uh, Luke went into great detail when it came to the life of Jesus Christ. Being a doctor by, by trade, he went into great uh, meticulous detail in determining what he had to say about Jesus and Jesus' life. Matter of fact, just to give you a little update on Luke, you can rest assured this morning you hold the inspired Word of God in your hand. It's not a book of fairy tales. It's not a book of, of legends or fables. It's a book that is inspired by a holy God. Um, many years ago, there was a man by the name of uh, Sir William Ramsey. He was an atheist. He was an atheist archaeologist. And he got to reading the Gospel of Luke, and Luke also wrote the book of Acts, and he got to reading, and he said, you know, this man was so meticulous, I just can't believe anybody is that accurate. Of course, he didn't believe in God, so he says, I'm going to set out to disprove that Luke, what he wrote about was true. And he said, if I can disprove Luke and the book of Luke and the book of Acts, then I can disprove that it's all fables and fairy tales. He spent 15 years traveling over the areas where Luke talked about. It, and he spent 15 years studying the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Acts, or the book of Acts. And guess what he came to the conclusion? He said, Luke is the greatest historian that ever lived, and Sir William Ramsey became a Christian. 
You know, that's because the Word of God is inspired this morning, and I'm grateful we have an inspired Word. We're not left to conjecture. We're not left to suggestions. We're left to God's inspired Word and His roadmap. As He's saying a while ago, this little light of mine, the light of the world must come from the Word of God that we shine into life of others, because we're living in dark, dark times. Now, as we come to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, let me just set, set the setting before I read the scripture this morning. Remember, we're talking about good news for troubled times. Jesus, in the early part of chapter four, has just been baptized and he has gone through his temptations. Uh, he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was not tempted in order to show us whether he would fail. Jesus was tempted to show us that he wouldn't go fail. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of Savior I need this morning. One that will not and cannot fail. So Jesus wasn't tempted rather to, to see if he'd fail or not. Jesus was tempted to show us he wasn't going to fail. That he was truly the Son of God. Now after Jesus' temptations and after his baptism and his temptations, the scripture tells us that he went into the area of Galilee as he begins his ministry. And the scripture teaches us here that the Spirit of God was upon him. Now, how long he was in this area, it does not tell us, but he was just beginning his ministry. And then we come to verse 16, where Jesus goes back to his hometown to announce that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he is the one that the prophets spoke about. And Jesus is going to go into the synagogue, and as the custom was in that day, somebody would read from the scripture, which of course would be the Old Testament, and then somebody would make comments on what they read. Now Jesus is going to read a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah, written by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And of course, this would be in our Bible, it would be Isaiah chapter 61. So with that in mind, as we come to Luke chapter 4, I want to read verses 16 through 22. And in reverence and honor of God's inspired word, if you would, please stand this morning as we read. Now, we've got to remember, Jesus has just begun his ministry and he's gone back to his hometown where he was raised to announce that he is the promised Messiah. And it said, he, speaking of Jesus, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said... Is not this Joseph's son? Let us pray. Father, this morning as we come before your presence, Lord, we're grateful and thankful that we can assemble this morning. We're thankful for those who are listening uh, over live stream, Lord. We're grateful today for the opportunity to preach the word of God. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Lord, give us some assurance and some comfort and good news in the day and hour in which we live. Father, we thank you today for your inspired word. We're grateful and thankful we can apply it to our lives. And Father, as we depart today, 
we do pray that as we go out into a dark world that we'll let our little light shine. Father, we can make a difference if we know Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we lift our hearts to you today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we're living in a day and hour when there doesn't seem to be any good news. I mean, every time you turn the TV on, it's about the virus. Every time you turn the TV on, it's about injustice. It's in the world, which that's very true. You turn your TV on, it's about rioting. It's about looting. It's about marching. There just doesn't seem to be any good news that takes place today. You hear a knock at the door, and most of the time, somebody on the other end gives us bad news. The phone rings, and the person on the other end says, have you heard? And most of the time when they say that, there's bad news that follows. And we just scratch our head and we want to go off and hide somewhere and say, there just doesn't seem to be any good news anymore. You know, that's the way it's been. No good news anywhere. Sometimes we get like the, the people in the days of Jesus before when he was born. We want to hear the angels one time again saying, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. We want to hear that again. We want to hear the angels sing and bring us some good news. You know, as we come to our scripture this morning, Jesus comes to Nazareth, his hometown. And I want to tell you, they were looking for some good news, just like people today are looking for good news. And well, first of all, as we look at this text this morning, I hope your Bible, you kept it open, but I want us to look at the promise of good news, the promise of good news. It says here that Jesus came back to Nazareth. He had just begun his ministry, and of course, they didn't have the, the news media as they have today and the social media, so people... Didn't know where Jesus had went, but he comes back to his hometown and he's going to announce that he is the promised Messiah, that he is a Savior that has been promised by the prophets. So he comes back to his hometown and they're glad to see Jesus. And Jesus goes into the synagogue, which was his custom every Sabbath day. And no doubt Jesus had done this many times. It was always the custom that somebody would read a passage of Scripture and then give a little comment on it. Well, Jesus does that. Remember, we're talking about what? The promise of good news. So Jesus takes the scroll and he opens it up to the book of Isaiah, which in our Isaiah would be Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus begins to read. And he begins to read this prophecy that was made 700 years before Jesus was ever born. It's the prophecy that speaks of the coming Messiah. It's the, a prophecy that speaks that there's going to be a promised Messiah come day and he's going to bring some good news and he's going to do some fantastic things. And you know, I can see Jesus as he read this because Nazareth needed some good news. Now, Nazareth was not really a large town. It was a population of about 400 to 600 people. It was a dry town. That's what, matter of fact, Nazareth means a root out of dry ground. But it was a place where there was vice taking place, a lot of corruption taking place. So these people wanted some good news. They had been looking for the Messiah. They had been looking for a Savior. And I can see Jesus as he reads this. No doubt as he's reading this, and can you imagine the Savior reading the Word of God? And as he begins, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I can see people sitting there with their eyes closed, wishing, oh, how we wish that this prophecy would be fulfilled. Oh, how we wish the coming Messiah would come. How we wish that the promised Savior would come upon the scene and fulfill that which Isaiah spoke about. And Jesus reads this promise to them. And they sit there and they... Look among themselves and I can see them saying, oh, how we want this to be fulfilled today. And you know what? We're just like those people. We look around today and we want to see somebody to bring us some good news. We want to hear some good news. You know, uh, you know, promise is only good as the person that makes it. You know, we live in that time of election year where everybody wants to make promises. 
And as Jesus read this promise, they're saying, oh, we wish it could be fulfilled. We have this now. Everybody stand up that's running for office. They make all these promises that they know they can't keep. We know they can't keep them. And yet we somehow or another vote for them anyway. And it turns out they can't keep them. Why? Because the promise is only as good as the person that makes it. Instantly, as Jesus read this, he sat down. And the scripture says, he handed the book back to the attendant. And all the eyes were fastened on Jesus because they were expecting Jesus to make comment on it. And of course, it would probably be the usual comments that were made when someone would read that. Isaiah's promised a Savior's coming. Isaiah's promised a, the Messiah's coming. Isaiah looks forward to that day when it'll be fulfilled and they expected Jesus to say the same thing. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus, as their eyes were fastened upon him in verse 21, Jesus said this. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, Jesus said, Here it is. Isaiah made the promise. I want you to know I am the one who is the fulfillment of that verse. Now, don't you know there was some murmuring going on because they turned around and said, well, Is it not just Joseph's son? We know Jesus. He was a good man, but surely he's not the one to fulfill this promise. You know, I know uh, him and Joseph, they made the bed we slept in last night. They made the table that we ate off of this morning. They made the, the chairs that we sat in. They made those wooden bowls that we mixed up our bread in this morning. And he says he's the fulfillment. Well, you know, as we said earlier, a promise is only as good as the one that made it. Interesting thing that history tells us that every once in a while someone would come upon the scene and say, I'm the Savior. But guess what? He wasn't the Savior. So Jesus, when he stands up and says, I am the Messiah. Men had done that before, but they weren't the Messiah. But you know what? Jesus was different. This man could walk upon the water. This man could restore sight to the blind. This man could cause a lame man to walk. This man could raise the dead. This man could do something no other person could ever do. And he, in the end, he arose from the dead himself. He could fulfill. He had the good, so to speak. Why? Because the promise is only as good as the one that made it. And Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm the one that has come to fulfill this verse that Isaiah spoke about. The one who made this promise. And he begins to say, I've come to preach the gospel. Now the word gospel simply means good news. It was a word that, that meant a herald who would, would give any kind of good news, but he's going to give us some really good news. You say, well, what does this good news consist of? Now we talk all the time about, I want to preach the gospel. I want to tell the people the gospel. Well, what does the gospel consist of? That's what Jesus is going to tell us here this morning. He's going to tell us what the gospel consists of. And there's no clearer text in scripture than this that tells us what the gospel consists of. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill it. I have the power to fulfill it. I've not only come to fulfill the promise, I have the power to fulfill it. Now, what does the gospel consist of this morning? What is the good news that you and I need as we sit here today? What is the good news that we have for the world today? And the only good news that'll help this darkened world in which we live. Jesus begins by saying here, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, the word poor here is a word that means absolutely destitute. 
I mean, you don't have anything at all. You're nothing. In other words, Jesus says, I've come to preach the gospel to those who are bankrupt, who are absolutely bankrupt. They don't have two nickels to rub together. They're bankrupt. Now, while this may have some financial connotations to it, overall, I think Jesus is talking about spiritually. I've come to preach the gospel to those who are poor. And what he said on the Sermon on the Mount, I've come to preach the gospel to what? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who recognize their own spiritual poverty. You know, you'll never come to a holy God. You'll never bow your knee to Jesus Christ and you realize you're absolutely spiritually bankrupt. You're bankrupt this morning. I've got a debt that I could never pay to a holy God. You've got a debt you could never pay to a holy God. I've sinned against God. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I have failed God. I have failed Him miserably. The only thing God requires of me is for me someday to present Him as a holy God. I've got to present to Him a holy, perfect life. You know what? I can't do that and you can't do that either. So what am I going to do? Well, many years ago, I declared spiritual bankruptcy. I declared myself absolutely spiritually poverty stricken. And Jesus said, you know what? I've come to preach the gospel. I've got some good news to those who recognize the fact that they're spiritually bankrupt. Those who recognize the fact that they're spiritually in poverty. That they cannot earn their way to heaven. They're not going to be able to buy their way to heaven. They don't have enough money to get into heaven. The only way you're ever going to get to heaven is come before Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I'm spiritually poverty. You've done paid the debt for me. Hallelujah this morning. I'm glad Jesus paid the debt. I hear people say, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and start to do better. Well, well and good, but that won't get you into heaven. There's only one way I'm ever going to get into heaven, and that's accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior who did for me and who did for you what you and I could never do for ourselves. He paid a debt he didn't know, and I couldn't pay. That's not to make a good Baptist shout. That he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He died on the cross for you and I. Oh, how thankful I am this morning for a wonderful, wonderful Savior who did for me and did for you and paid a debt that we could never, ever, ever pay. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is our surety. Now, that's a word we don't use anymore, but the word surety means someone who uh, paid an obligation and took up an obligation that I couldn't keep. Well, I can make all the promises I want to that I'm going to do better. But you know what? Jesus says, that's still not going to get you into heaven. The only way you're going to get into heaven is you're going to have to declare spiritual bankruptcy. I came to preach the gospel to the poor, to those who recognize they'll never get into heaven's gates by their own works. R.G. Lee, who pastored uh, Bellevue Baptist Church for many, many years in Tennessee, one day he visited the Holy Land on his first visit. He visited many times thereafter, but on his first visit, he was with a tour guide that took him to Calvary's Hill. And R.G. Lee just stood there and gazed at Calvary's Hill. And finally the tour guide said, you, you gaze and stare here like you've been here before. He said, I was 2,000 years ago. What was he saying? When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus took my place. When Jesus died on the cross, that was me dying. When Jesus arose from the dead, that was me rising from the dead. Why? Because he did for me what I could never do for myself. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For what? They shall inherit the earth. They shall see the kingdom of God. Only when we realize that we're sinners. You know, the older I get, the most precious word that I can think of is the word grace. God's unmerited favor. God giving us that which we do not deserve. I love that song, Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. He paid it all. 
He paid it all. And the good news this morning, if you're here and if you're listening online and you recognize the fact that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you're never going to get into heaven's gates by your own power, by your own strength, by earning anything, you don't have to. Jesus has already done it all. Every religion in the world says, do this, do this, do this, and you might get into heaven. Christianity says, done, paid in full. When Jesus died on the cross, what was his words? It is finished. It was a word that meant paid in full. It was paid in full. And as Jesus died on the cross, you know what they were doing? They were slain. He died at three in the afternoon. There that afternoon at three o'clock, many people all over Israel were killing the Passover lamb. They were killing that lamb and sacrifice. Jesus said, you don't have to do that anymore. When I came to church this morning, I didn't bring a bull. I didn't bring a goat. I didn't bring turtle doves. You know why? Jesus paid it all. There's one sacrifice that's been made, and it doesn't have to be made again. Ah, the good news this morning is Jesus came to preach the gospel to who? The bankrupt. But notice also he says here, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The good news is this morning Jesus Christ has come to heal the brokenhearted. Now I want to tell you something. You can't go through this life without a broken heart. You say, well, my heart's never been broken. Well, you just stick around long enough and live long enough, it'll get broken. But I have ideas all our hearts have been broken. Our hearts have been broken when we have to give up loved ones. Our hearts have been broken when we have shattered dreams. Disappointments come to our life. Disease comes into our life. Disaster comes into our life. Things don't turn out like we wish they would have. Children don't turn out like we wish they would have. And our heart gets broke. We go through this life with a broken heart. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ can bring comfort when our heart is broken. Jesus Christ is always there for us. Matter of fact, is Jesus be, uh, the night of his arrest, what did he say? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to comfort you and strengthen you. And in the midst of all of our difficulties and all of our problems, Jesus Christ is there to help us and restore us. Why? Because he's come to heal the brokenhearted. I'm so thankful that when our heart is broken and tears are streaming down our cheek, we can say with the Apostle Paul, he is the God of all comfort. You know, Paul was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, uh, you name it, he had it. But he said, God is the God of all comfort and he's there to strengthen me and help me. I like what Paul said as he wrote to Timothy. It, it wasn't too long after that that he was executed. He said, all men have forsaken me, but notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. You know what, he stands with you and I. In the midst of your broken heart, I don't know what your broken heartedness is today, but I do know this, Jesus Christ is able to help us. Jesus Christ is able to strengthen us. Jesus Christ is right there to be with us, to see us through that difficult time. And how many of us can look back at our life and say, you know, I'd have never made it through that. I'd have never made it through this. I'd have never made it through that if it hadn't been for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and his comfort and his strength and his grace. And in the midst of my broken heartedness, he was there to help me. You know that nursery rhyme says, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the king of kings and the Lord of lords put you back together again. When we're broken and when we don't feel like, as the Bible says, and as that song says, bring all your broken pieces to the Lord. That in the midst of our brokenness, he is there. Oh, this morning, bring it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often we try to work it out ourselves, don't we? I remember when my daughter was first learning to tie her shoes. She brought to me a shoe that she had tried to tie. And I want to tell you what, there is no Boy Scout on the face of the earth that could tie a knot like she did. I have never in my life, and it took me forever to get that knot out of that shoe. 
My question to her was this. Why didn't you bring me that shoe when you first got the first knot in it? This was her answer. The answer of humanity. I thought I could do it myself. That's the problem with the world today. We think we can do it ourselves. Brother, there's a lot of things we can't do, but I'll tell you what, Jesus can. Jesus can get those knots out in our life. Jesus can take us in the midst of our brokenness and put us back together again. And that's what he says here. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Sure, our hearts get broken, but Jesus Christ can heal that broken heart. But you know what? There's something else Jesus says here. I've not only come to preach the gospel to the bankrupt. I've not only come to preach the gospel to the brokenhearted, but he says, I've got good news for what? To preach deliverance to the captive, those that are in bondage. The, world here, the word here for captives means those who have been taken prisoner. And brother, life takes us prisoner. And I like what it says here, the, the word deliverance here, this translated deliverance, also translated in other places, same word that's translated forgive. There are a lot of people today who are in bondage. They're bondage to their own sin. And the only way you're ever going to get out of that is Jesus Christ. He brings deliverance. He brings forgiveness. I've seen people get their lives all twisted and tangled up and all kind of relationships, all kind of sins. They can't seem to get out of it. And I hear people say, well, you know, I can get out of it anytime I want to. And they only go deeper and deeper and deeper. I want to tell you what, if you're in bondage this morning to anything whatsoever, Jesus Christ can set you free. You know, Paul said, don't let sin reign and rule in your mortal bodies. And sometimes we, we think that we can handle it, but sometimes we find out that sin will put us in bondage. You remember that story of, um, if you paid attention at school, which sometimes I didn't, there was a story we read called Gulliver's Travels. If you remember the story of Gulliver, he, he shipwrecked on this island, and it had uh, what was called Lilliputians. That was her name, just little old bitty people, just you know, about six inches tall. Well, Gulliver washed up on the shore there, and he was kind of unconscious, so they tied him. Now, if Gulliver had woken up when they first started tying him, he would have broke those strings. But they kept binding him and binding him and binding him. When Gulliver broke up, woke up, he couldn't break the strings. You know what? That's what sin do to you. You may think you can get by with it. Well, that's not too bad. I got by with that. No, you don't get by with it. It'll bind you. Did you know that they say that a quarter inch thick of a spider web will hold up a ton? Now, if I run into a spider web, which I detest, you can kind of brush it aside. But a quarter inch of that will hold up a ton. That is exactly the power of sin. But I only know one person this morning that can break the power of sin, and that's Jesus Christ. Because he came to do what? He came to deliver the captives, those who are in bondage. And sadly, I look around and I see Christians who are in bondage. They're in bondage to habits they don't need to be in, relationships they shouldn't be in, things in, in their mind that they shouldn't be thinking about. We need to get back to filling our hearts and our soul and our mind with the Word of God. To break that bondage because the word of God is powerful to do that. And if you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, you find sin binding you. Let me tell you what, Jesus Christ can set you free. If you're here this morning as a Christian and something seems to get a foothold in your life, Jesus Christ can break free. And the marvelous thing about it, it says he preached deliverance. Again, the same word is translated forgiveness. He gives forgiveness. I've had people say to me, well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't make any difference. Jesus Christ forgives all sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of what? All unrighteousness. You know what? I'm thankful for that. There are a lot of things I wish I hadn't done, a lot of things we all wish we'd go back and unchanged. But you know what? Jesus Christ, the Bible says, forgives us. He cast it as far as the east from the west and he remembers them no more. 
Amen. That's good news to a sinner. And that's good news this morning. But he also says here that he's come to preach not only the gospel to the bankrupt, to the brokenhearted, to the captives, or to the, those in bondage. He says he's come to preach the gospel to what? To recover the sight to the blind, those that are blind. Now I want to tell you something. We are living in a day of absolute total blindness. It amazes me when I hear pundits on TV and people that are supposed to be smart and people that are supposed to have good sense, they get up and make statements that I shake my head and say, how can you be so blind? Because the Bible says that the devil blinds the eyes of those who believe not. And we look around today and we see people doing things that are absolutely crazy. You say, why are they doing that? Well, a lot of people just they live like lost people. They live like lost people are supposed to live lost. And they're blind to the truth. And what we need to do is pray. As the Bible says here, he can recover the sight to the blind. And, and pray that God will open people's eyes to see the glories of Jesus Christ. That only in Him can people find their sins forgiven. Only in Him can they find hope out of darkness. Only in them can they find the light that leads them to the right path. People are blind. But I see Christians that are blind. They get so caught up in things of the world, and I think we have to be careful in the day and hour in which we live, to not get sucked into the philosophy of this world. You know, the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, don't be, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And sometimes we can listen to so much and neglect the Word of God, our minds and our eyes begin to see as the world sees, and I don't want to see like that. And we need Jesus Christ to open our eyes to what's truly important. You know, some of the most important things in life that we say are important really aren't all that important. I think the older I get, the most important things in life to know your sins are forgiven, to know your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, to know that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to know that our hope is in Jesus Christ, and to know that He is coming back again someday. It's nice to have nice cars, it's nice to have nice houses, it's nice to have nice bank account, but I want to tell you what, if you compare that to our hope in Jesus Christ, it's absolutely worthless, that's what Paul said. Paul said it's all done, it's all refuge, it's all garbage when it's compared to Jesus Christ. You know, I've sat by the bedside of many a dying person and I've never heard one person say, I wish I had more money in my bank right now. I wish I'd had a Rolls Royce to drive instead of my Toyota. I wish I'd lived in a 15-room house instead of a 10-room house. I've never heard anybody say that, but I had heard people say with regret, oh, I wish I'd put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and that wasted my life. They've been blinded by the things of the world. You know, I think as I get older, I know my wife would agree with this, some of the most precious words you can hear is when you hear from your grandchildren and say, Grandma and Grandpa, that's worth more than a million dollars right there. See, the things that we count as big in life really aren't the big things. Most of the time, the little things are the big things, aren't they? And we need more than anything else in the day and hour in which we live to be able to see Jesus Christ more clearly around us. You know, I was talking to the brother a while ago. It amazes me. We can get up in the morning many times. We need to see Jesus. When you walk out and see the sun rising, we need to see Jesus. When we hear the, the, the birds chirping, we need to hear Jesus. When we hear the, the breeze kind of breeze by and kiss our cheeks, you know what? We need to remember Jesus. We need to have our eyes open to the fact that He's all around us. He's all around us. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us.
Ah, today the good news is in the midst of our blindness, if we've been blinded by the things of this world, that Jesus Christ can do what? He can restore sight to the blind. Oh, how we need our eyesight restored. One last thing I think he says here. He says, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now the word bruised here is an interesting word. It means to shatter. Uh, It means to smite something through. Now I want to tell you what, life can bruise you up. Uh, You can't live this life, as he said a while ago, broken. Life can break us, but it also can bruise us. And as you go through life, you're going to get bruised. You can get bruised by many different ways. We can get bruised by slander. That sometimes people will talk about if you try to live for Jesus, especially in the day and hour in which we live. If you try to live for Jesus, people are going to slander you. People are going to talk about you. You know, we get bruised because of that. We get bruised because of the fact of sin in our own life. Sometimes we make decisions that, that leave scars and leave bruises. God forgives, yes. But sometimes they, they still leave those bruises. We get bruised in spirit because of discouragement that comes our way. Things don't turn out like we wish they would. And we get bruised that way. We get bruised by sorrow. Sorrow comes into our life. Sooner or later we have to say goodbye to those that we love. Life has a way of bruising us. But I want to tell you one thing. The good news this morning is that Jesus Christ can come to heal us when we're bruised. He's always right there. That's the good news that Christ preaches. That's the good news he preached here. I've come to preach to the what? Bankrupt. I've come to preach to the brokenhearted. I've come to preach to those who are in bondage. I've come to preach to those who are blind. I've come to preach to those who are bruised. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of Savior I need. That's the kind of Savior we need every single minute and every single second of our day. The one that's got good news. There is some good news for troubled times. His name is Jesus. Now instantly he says Jesus sat down here. You say, well, how can I have this good news? You know, we've looked at the promise of good news. We looked at the power of this good news. Now what's the path to this good news? And it says as they sat down, it says the eyes of all of them in verse 20, the eyes of all of them that were in a synagogue were fastened on him. That's the secret. Fasten our eyes on Jesus. As we go through this old world and all of its confusion and all of its chaos and a world that, that seems to be in a maze. I remember when uh, uh, as a boy one time went to the county fair and we went to this glass house. Brother, I didn't think I'd ever get out of that thing. Uh, uh, I mean, I tried to follow people's footprints and I got lost in there and I couldn't get out. If I'm not mistaken, somebody finally had to come in and, and lead us out. That's about the way life seems sometimes. Seems like in a glass house and in a maze we can't get out of. And I'm here to tell you, I know a person that can lead you out of it. His name is Jesus Christ. All we've got to do is fasten our eyes on him. And this thing is here that this, this uh, good news that Jesus brings, he did it with urgency. He did it with urgency. Now there's something interesting here because Jesus said in verse 19, he says, I've come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's urgency. Today is the day of salvation. It's an absolutely universal call. We fasten our eyes on him. But there's an urgency to that. Because Jesus didn't read the whole verse. He stopped, stopped short. He said, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He stopped right there. The rest of the verse said, and the day of the vengeance of our Lord. That day is coming for those who know not Jesus Christ. That day is coming when he comes again. Right now we're living on a day of grace. When you can accept Jesus Christ is your Savior. But there's coming that day when the vengeance of the Lord, there will be none. That's why this is a universal call, but it's an urgent call. 
an urgent call to come to Jesus Christ now. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week, not sometime in the future, not promising we'll do it. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, because none of us are promised another second. None of us are promised another day. None of us are promised another hour. That's why Jesus said, this is the acceptable year of the Lord right now. And the thing is, if you went and read the rest of the chapter here, these are people that knew Jesus. They grew up with him. They knew him. He had, he had made furniture for their house. Some of accepted him what he said. Some of them received what he said. And if you read the rest of it, some of them take him out and throw him over a cliff. Times haven't changed, have they? There are people today that will turn to Jesus Christ. Others want to throw him over a cliff. I want to tell you what, he's still the answer. And just because we reject him, he's still the answer. He's there waiting for us to come. Come, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's what he told John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was going through difficult times and John the Baptist found himself in prison, John the Baptist found himself uh, not having the answers that he would like or thought he should have, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, is he really who he said he was? Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll yoke up with you. I'll yoke up with you, and whatever burden you've got, I'll help you with it. I remember years ago as a boy, my dad, he was a master of all things. He had this ladder. He was working on something. It was the biggest ladder I thought ever been made in the world. I mean, it was long. I don't, I don't know how long it was, but it was long. I couldn't tote it. And oftentimes he'd say, son, carry that ladder back down to the shop. And I'd pick, I couldn't pick it up, so I'd grab it by the end and I'd drag it. And I remember seeing me dragging it now, and all of a sudden that, that ladder would get awful light. You know what happened? My father would grab the other end. I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't know what you're trying to drag through life, but I'll tell you what, Jesus is there to help you tote it. If you'll just come to him, if you'll just look to him. Yes, there is some good news. That good news is proclaimed by Jesus Christ. He is the good news. He's the only news in this world worth proclaiming. And the answers to the problems today is Jesus. Always been Jesus, is Jesus, and will continue to be Jesus if we'll just look to Him. Today is the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh, thank God for His amazing grace. Yes, there is some good news.